0: All right, welcome to the tabletop miniature hobby podcast. My name's Matthew, and on this episode, I'm joined by Carol of the uh, Chicago Skirmish War Games. How you doing, Carol?
1: Doing great, thanks, Matthew.
0: So, Chicago Skirmish War Games is a, a club, isn't it?
1: Yeah, we've been meeting for a little over a decade in Chicago, just doing what the name says—just war games in Chicago.
0: And how did that come about? Like, were you were you involved in setting that up back in the day?
1: Uh, So I I was contacted on the Song of Blades and Heroes Yahoo group. Remember Yahoo groups? Yeah, yeah. Um, By a gentleman in the area who was looking to just find opponents. And he found myself and another friend. And the three of us really enjoyed um, Song of Blades and Heroes, which we'd all kind of gravitated to as this cheap, quick way to get back into wargaming. And it just stuck. The three of us became four, then six, averaged about eight to ten people over the years but always kind of even playing big, bigger games, coming back to this small, uh, cheap, <laughs> skirmish kind of format.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Song of Blades and Heroes there, it's it's no stranger to the listeners of this podcast, and it's a game I play myself. So is it, would you say that that's one of your favorite games over the years?
1: It still is. I uh, Don't play it as much as we used to, but I can literally never had a bad game of it um i've recently had the chance to introduce my children to it and even my daughter who is here, requests, about as much as she wants to do we'll get in there get some fun miniatures on the table you know really really it's it's it, it doesn't stop it's a game that keeps giving
0: yeah i was looking on the website there and obviously i'll put all links in the show notes but you've got a post here um i'm just looking at the date was it last year it was uh you published this so song of blades and heroes with my kids um
1: yes yes that was a good one um we just kind of dove right in i try to make it as pretty as possible loading up the table with scenery making something fun for them to be engaged in and sometimes i can largely largely sit back and just kind of play referee for the two of them Mm -hmm. it looks great
0: great photos here um so the 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 kids took to it really well. Then, what age did you say they are?
1: So they are uh, nine and twelve, I think. But mm-hmm. I'll have to check their dates later. <laughs> yeah, aye. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're they're um, and so they we didn't start too early with both of them. We you know for years it was just Hero Quest. Um, Sean Patton of Necromanticon, now called Iron Hands, has a bunch of kid-friendly rule sets. Uh, my son and I played a bit of Star Crashers when he was, you know, six or seven. But it's only the last couple of years where they've been willing to sit down and explore this with me. And it just happens that, you know, now I have have all the wargaming toys to entice them.
0: So would I be pushing my luck with my wee girl? She's like not two yet. So would, it, would that still be a wee bit too soon? But uh, we're on the uh, wooden block stage where I build a tower and she knocks them over. So that's sort of our wargame at the moment.
1: Yeah, you know, just plant a few miniatures around the playroom so they're in her field of view and she becomes enamored with them over time, maybe. <laughs> subtle reprogramming of the children.
0: So uh, any other games that you get the kids involved in then at the moment?
1: So with my daughter, the only other one is uh, Hero Quest, which has proved... We bought the... Um, uh, we should say we were playing with a friend's vintage set and he took that back because Hero Quest is amazing and you want your vintage set back. But we bought in on the on the Hasbro Kickstarter thing, and that's been great. They they keep coming back to it. They keep wanting to play. I can get my wife involved. It's the only uh, war game that we all do as a group. Mm-hmm. But uh, my son has gone in, as I think any uh, 11th grade sci-fi interested child would, on the Warhammer universe. And I am not about to let him join the Warhammer book carousel. So we've taken wholeheartedly to uh, one-page rules. Mm-hmm. And uh, that uh, grimdark future has been great. And again, it's a rule set that he doesn't really need me to teach him anymore. He just plays, and he's had friends over, and we can uh, teach them both of them the rules in about you know five ten minutes, and then they can do it themselves. So yeah, it, I, uh, it matches.
0: I got the um, rules. A lot of the one page rules uh, a year or two ago. I've never actually got to play in them, but I read through the rules and super simple, like very accessible. So have you actually? Uh, played some games with them. Then
1: we, we played quite a few games of Grimdark Future. It uh, it really does encapsulate a Warhammer-like pulpy experience in a real streamlined way. The uh, more skirmishy level ones are—I don't know if they're quite as fun. They're enjoyable and they're roughly the exact, almost the exact same rule set. But Grimdark Future in particular feels like a Warhammer battle, but uh, plays much faster and is free. And you know, my son—it's so—it's so accurate. My kid can actually take an old codex from a couple of years back, find the options and, and uh, that he wants to arm his figures with, mm-hmm. and he can find the exact same layout in their little, very handy web app. Yeah. So it's fairly seamless for him to enjoy that universe he's interested in without, you know, getting on the book buying carousel.
0: Yeah. Uh, you want to steer clear of that, don't you? Um, so the, the, with the war game, with this, the skirmish club then, a. Uh, I did see you were playing some Kings of War as well, which obviously isn't a skirmish game. So how how do you find that? Uh, so
1: Kings of War was something that I've been uh, trying to gently prod the group towards uh, for many years now. We've played a few games over the years, but um, I wanted to do a campaign. And uh, when we kind of regrouped after COVID, it was around Kings of War, just getting interested in playing something big and fantasy. And by this time, most of us had collected sizable armies for different games. So it's been a, it has been was a lot of fun. We just wrapped up um, about a, two months ago and just in time to use the new um, red compendium book rules that, uh, that Mantic has released, which have siege rules, which are actually pretty well, well, well executed, easy to use. I can't speak to the balance, having only played one game of them, but we were able to, having never played a siege game before, use the siege game on our final campaign day, and it didn't hurt at all. And of course, being Chicago Scrumers War Games, we've got a ridiculous variety of armies involved. We've got Vintage Games Workshop, uh, Chaos, and um, we even had one fella uh, for Kings of War bring out some Tharks uh, riding their six-legged beasts from the uh, the John Carter Mars series. Um, there's one fella who plays with uh, Song of Ice and Fire minis. And because King of War is so modular and, and uh, element tray-based, any... Buddy's army is fits right in.
0: With the War Games Club, then the Skirmish Club, would you say that the ethos of the club is quite open? And you know, it sounds that way. Like you're you're prepared to try all these different games, and you're not looking for like official ranges and all this. It's, it's very much a what we've got and what we could create mentality. It,
1: it's very much that um, we came from a variety of backgrounds, coming to Song of Blades and Heroes, and the Song of Blades and Heroes ethos is you know whatever miniatures you have you can play with, and so we've carried that into every single other game that we played. Um, we dabbled in Tomorrow's War, Kings of War. Um, there was a number of post-apocalyptic war sets we tried over the years, and uh, K forty Conflict forty seven uh, a little more recently. And there again, none of none of none of these games, most of them have an official range, but we've never. Uh, made any real efforts to stick with that. And part of it is just wanting to remain accessible. Mm -hmm. Um, We've also always tried to have enough figures on that guests could stop in and just, all right, you show up, you want to play, here's your figures, here's your list, jump right in and play. Uh, We don't get guests that often uh, being in a basement dwelling war game club, but the idea that anyone can participate um, has been really important to us and not to make a, a budgetary restraint on that. And on top of that is that we all love old miniatures. I mean, our, one of our best memories was buying a literal bin of lead from a, a, a convention. And then just we all go sorting through it and divvying it up and everyone taking some and, of course, selling some more to buy more. And just uh, and so if you look at an, our, our armies, even folks like myself who lean towards the – like we're cha- kings of war, leaning towards a more chaos look. But there's going to be old Ralph Partha in there. There's going to be um, uh, a little privateer press maybe. There might be old, uh, definitely going to be a fair helping of EM 4s grenadier stuff. You know, just loving the and understanding the history of miniatures and being able to incorporate that into games even today is an awful lot of fun.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that as well. Like when you're, um, I was going, cutting costs isn't necessarily the right term, but when you're when you're trying to keep things on the cheaper side, there's mm-hmm. a lot of invention and creativity there because you're pulling from what you can and and you're really you know you're making the best of what you've got, and you can, you know, a little could go a long way sometimes, can't it? With the right sort of approach and attitude.
1: Very much so, and you're not limited to one game when you're when you're buying on the cheap or you're buying vintage miniatures. Not only are you enjoying these fantastic works of art from like some of the best sculptors ever, regardless of whether they're plugged into a, into a game or not, but you're. I can play one. You can have multiple warbands, uh, multiple games, multiple eras, genres. All without making a serious financial dent, um, because you know I, I think I I just straight up call it cheapskate gaming. It's kind of what we do. Yeah. And you know, song if you start with your focus being songwoods and heroes, wherever you go, that's going to go with you. Mm-hmm. So, and and that's not to say we don't have standards. Um, we you will almost never see a painted miniature on our table. So I'm uh, not sorry, an, an unpainted miniature <laughs> upon I knew our what tables. You meant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that. Um, you know, we're not snobbish about it, but sometimes that means that it's a pre-painted D&D figure that winds up on the table. Mm. But then when 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 we come, you know, we're all busy folks and we take that night out of our week to go in together. You never get anything less than a great looking table with good terrain and, you know, figures that have paint on them are coming alive. So kind of accessibility while retaining a a, a nice standard is, I think, a really kind of a guiding light for me and hopefully for most of the members of the club.
0: Mm. So cheapskate gaming, like, is there, is there any more to tell us about that sort of um, ethos?
1: No, I mean, it's just a matter of, one thing that we do a lot, of course, is help each other out. So um, uh, as there's eight people who have, you know, all getting towards their forties and collected, uh, a lot of times the things that you need for gaming are already in your friend's collection and he may not even want them anymore. So a lot of cross trading, um, I just acquired a ridiculous amount of choir from a, uh, a fellow who is painting upset. Are you familiar with choir? No, these are, <laughs> uh, I, Joshua, I think his last name is Qualitary. It has this range. It's uh, world war one anteater people. Right. Uh, I, I kid you not. It's, it's the cutest, uh, nastiest thing you've ever seen. And fella had bought a whole box years ago and he painted up the ones he wants. Now they're in my hands. I'll take some. Some will probably go on to other members. So there's this kind of circle, almost communitarian kind of approach. Sometimes we get together and everyone brings a bunch of miniatures and we're basically paying each other a dollar each for whatever men's we pull out of bins and there's a so it's it's cheapskate isn't just about, you know, being cheap, but having nice things and supporting each other is a big part of it as well.
0: Mm. With a War Games Club, then, how, I I don't suppose there's official rules here, but how how do these things work for you guys? Like, does the club uh, collectively own anything, or is it all just like your own collections of stuff that you bring together?
1: So, essentially, it is whatever we each bring. Um, A lot of that has fallen to me over the years because uh, my home is typically tended to be one of the main places we meet. We have a couple of different people who homes they meet in. um, I think we've discussed a bit on uh, the Discord. Uh, that the regional differences in housing uh, depending on where you are in in the world and most folks here in Illinois um, in Chicago where I am or nearby Chicago have a basement and that 's a real boon but i 've always had a basement or a, a size or an area in which we can set up so I have a large train collection um, parts acquired from other people um, but the one thing we just started doing, which is kind of neat as a collective was to form a club bits library i um, 've got you know 10 guys, many of us have been, uh, gaming for more than, uh, third 20 years or more. And so just taking all these bits we've got, organizing them in in trays and put them in a few boxes so that if someone needs a bit, um, they can just open up the boxes, go in and find what they need. Again, it's, it, it, feeds the community ethos. It feeds the cheapskate ethos. It's just something fun to go treasure hunting when you, have a miniature you want to make unique.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
1: It's a lot of fun that way.
0: Yeah. I that stuff comes in handy. I foolishly, I got ready a load of stuff not that long ago. Ooh. And then I was um then I needed two arms for a guy and I was like, what did I do that for? Um but you live and learn. Or I don't actually. But <laughs> um what what about terrain for the club? I, again is it just like you all have your own terrain and you put that together because terrain's obviously it's a bit more bulky than than miniatures, especially for storage.
1: Yes, and again, the uh, having a basement and having garages is great for uh, terrain in a club. Um, and so typically I will provide most of the terrain. Uh, I'll actually keep it out in the garage, in tubs. Uh, I have unfortunately no longer room to put a car in my garage, but such is the price of being a War Games Club organizer. Priorities. But, uh, <laughs> exactly, priorities. But the tubs come in, they get set up, and so you want to have, you know, on any given night, it could be a desert setup, or it could be a forest. We can do, you know, the stuccoed housing that could be either the Mediterranean or the American West. Uh, and then, of course, my obsession is uh, science fiction terrain, um, urban science fiction, urban terrain is kind of my obsession and forte. Why is but that? I, 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 you know, I don't know. I think it's probably from uh, growing up on Star Wars, you know, that that. Uh, chunky dirty heavily greebled pipes coming out of all kinds of strange places and it's an aesthetic I've, i found a lot of fun um with toy bashing in particular which is kind of i don't know if that's actually a term or that's something i use for chopping up old toys and creating terrain out of them mm-hmm. um it's kind of a mild obsession of mine
0: yeah talk to us a wee bit about that like what are some examples of toy bashing then <clears throat>
1: So there's a couple of good ones on the uh, Chicago Skirmish War Games uh, website. But uh, the most recent one would be acquiring a large uh, Paw Patrol jet. So it's about two and a half feet by two and a half, this monstrosity. It's, of course, you know from the Goodwill, which is a resale shop uh, area around here. It's, of course, missing the cockpit and other things. But you see the shape, and you know that shape has potential. And so you take that back to your shop, and you look at it for a while, you dig into your bins of parts, which are again, part of the reason why I cannot fit a car into my garage. And you, what goes here, what goes there? So part of it is, you know, you maybe apply a bit of uh, plastic card to cover over the missing spots, and then you just go nuts with different parts. And so on this particular piece, I had, there were plastic coffee skewers and the grating from uh, medical devices. And there are chopped up bits of Star Wars toys that were a dollar because they were broken at the resale shop. And so you it's actually a system. You're starting, obviously, with this toy that you build on. But it's very similar to what model designers do when they take apart model kits and then just greeble or rough up add all the detail onto it. And so in the end, you have this thing that builds faster is than having to build it from absolute scratch. Uh, looks unique, is very cheap. And, you know, it's uh, it's a big toy. So when you put that down... On the corner of your table, at Adepticon, it's a real you know draws people to your table, and so having a Dremel and a motor tool, being able to chop apart plastic toys at will, and usually you want to use polystyrene, so you glue them together easily. You can create some pretty amazing stuff, and it's just it's a lot of fun, and it it takes it makes things so much faster because toys have detail on them already; Mm -hmm. they've already got all the pipes and grates and everything. You just gotta chop those sections out and glued them together in an interesting way. Um if if you guys if anyone wants to dive into that more, uh again, Sean Patton's Necromondicon, now it's called Iron Hands website, is just overflowing with amazing ways of taking toys and turning them into really interesting gaming terrain, spaceships, that sort of thing.
0: Let me show you so I always do this. It's an audio podcast and I'm like, let me show you something. Let me show you something. (laughs)
1: I would have I would have brought something to show if I'd known we were going to go so, visually here.
0: When it was when it was Halloween recently, right? I, I saw this for like two pounds. Okay, so talk talk the listener through what you could see there on the the video screen.
1: So, uh, dear listener, we have what appears to be a very large bird skeleton, and so we look at this thing right here, and we what do we want it to be? So well,
0: I, I'm gonna. I'm. What do you What do you want it to be, Matthew? Well, I was oh, Christ. I've just broke his wing <laughs> off there. So <laughs> what I want him to be is uh, two winged. He can't. He can only fly around in circles now. But uh, no, what I was thinking was like, I mean, I've broke the wing off anyway. But could that be some sort of big piece of skeleton terrain? You could maybe sit it on a base. You could have the skull lying. You know. For sure.
1: I mean, think think about what you want to add to there. With with that right there, you can basically make an excellent blocking hill. Um, dollar stores around us are great for that. You'll see around Halloween, smaller skeletons. Mm-hmm. Or you can go totally crazy nuts, which you, if you'll notice in the middle of your large bird, you've got a lot of hollow space. Yeah. Turn that into a, turn that into a cockpit, mm-hmm. put some gears and make it look like the wings are power and you could turn that into a steampunk flying machine.
0: So a big, Um, like, vulture, skeleton, (laughs) steampunk. Sure. The feet are good as well. Like, I think the feet could be, they could work as something. Uh, Yeah, you could could make a
1: a walker. The other thing that sometimes you see is um, bones. If you do it right and you combine it with a bit of uh, brickwork, they can be made into structures as well. So you could be a chaos temple could come out of that. There's a, I wish the viewers could see the lovely ridge cage. There's so many puppies possibilities with that thing yeah it goes all the he's way not around a, he's
0: porridge is he?
1: he's starving it's... and and that would be all very different for me I, i'm usually stuck in the sci-fi realm but now i'm thinking all kinds of crazy fantasy you could it, it could be a, a wizard's tower in there yeah with, with uh put some branches and trees coming up through it yeah so you have this giant thing that has now got something living in it so that's just kind of where toys take you
0: places yeah no, oh, yeah. I, I saw it and I thought, I'm going to have that a couple of quid. I'm going to do something <laughs> with that. And I've broke his wing off. You know what? It, it could be, um, you know, our character in Rangers of Shadow Deep, Vinny the Vulture. This is like, well, he's dead. For yeah. sure. Um, I don't think Vinny's ever died, but this 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 would be how he would look if he was dead. <laughs> so anyway, I I'll keep oh. you posted on that, Carol, if I do something with I- it.
1: And the neat thing about a lot of that toy stuff is you take it apart into its component parts and then maybe rebuild something entirely different. So maybe Vinny's head becomes something very large sticking out of a hole in the ground for a train. Mm. Maybe his rib cage becomes a vehicle or a house or something else. But being able to get that Dremel out, do you guys have – what? what's the motor tool brand in uh, – in, the UK. I
0: think we've got that. Yeah, I'm like the least handy person on earth, so I'm not sure. Um, I... so, so, so there's a there's a secret. It's called a
1: Dremel 543-bit and it's this plate of steel with big uh, nicks taken out of it. And with this thing, you can cut through any plastic toy. You can just chew through it and it's. you can also use it to shape the, and smooth the edge. I keep one always with that bit, plugged in at my workspace all the time. And I'm just cutting stuff out sanding it shaping it pulling it together yeah and being able to take things into their component parts and then rearrange them is kind of the essence of this i call it toy bashing i know there's probably some better term for it but
0: if i bought something like that and came home with my wife would be like you're finally a man like what we're going to do we're going to do some <laughs> shelves we're going to fix the bathroom no i'm, I'm a way to play with my toys sorry uh, so well it's a nice small one so
1: she might still see that and assume that you are indeed still not a man yeah so
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> um what about like you ever uh, you ever dabbled in like toy dinosaurs or that i've seen a lot of great examples of people just basing a toy dinosaur up and painting it up and it it, it looks like something you would buy out of games workshop for like 30 quid so
1: we have a couple of members who have done some neat stuff, and usually it does tend to revolve around like how does and things that are riding on top. Almost all of my uh, toy bashing has been around uh, toy sci-fi and post apoc but the creation of vehicles is a whole other thing. It's, it's spaceships. Um, the one forty third scale vehicle market just and one forty eighth is just right for Mad Max type stuff. We once ran a convention game with a two foot long table but that was 14 foot or sorry two feet deep and 14 feet long and uh lots of again 28 millimeters so lots of 143rd and 148th vehicles including of course a tanker to to kind of redo for convention games the mad max fuel chase remember that from i believe was uh the road warrior where their mad max is trying to defend the fuel truck from his the various baddies who are on the waist and you know, and that was all toy cars. It was just toy cars and 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 desert terrain. So the creation of vehicles. But as for the uh the biological uh dinosaurs and stuff, I personally have not done a whole lot with um creatures. It's all been science fiction stuff.
0: Yeah. I no I'm I'm that's what I'm gonna try as well soon as the, the dinosaur stuff, just, just to see see how it goes basically. I, I like the thought of buying something for one pound fifty and making it look like it might have cost you know seven times that or whatever so
1: yeah i mean there's a whole um, once you dive in even toys as miniatures beyond just toys as terrain things start popping up there's a we have again another americanism the dollar tree has a line of action figures called final faction and they've got a bunch of and of course they're more traditional three and a quarter size figures but their buggy alien types are amazing and they look an awful lot like tyranids to begin with they've got little legs and so you know you go in there and you get two sizable aliens for a dollar and with a coat of paint putting them on a base you're there it's done and that's not something you can say about the rest of the gaming universe because
0: mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> with them um, rangers of shadow deep i did end up like you need uh, you need giant spiders for a few of the missions and i did end up buying i can't remember where i got them but proper miniatures if you like but i very right. nearly had uh, a big packet of just like rubber spiders, you know, kids' toys. Uh, and I would yeah. have been quite happy to use them, you know, it's a giant spider. So
1: <laughs> it is what it says on the package. It's there's, and especially when you're thinking about uh, stuff for one off campaign events or, you know, a scenario you might never use again. Mm-hmm. Um, giant spiders are a staple, very useful. But if you're a sci fi guy and you want to throw together a spider scenario, you know why not just buy a hundred a pack of one hundred forty four plastic spider rings? You know and chop the rings off and throw them on the table and maybe give them a bit of a dry brush so they look right. But it just the the, the whole cheapskate ethos isn't just about not spending money; it's about widening your horizons. Um, if you if things cost less, you can do more of them and in more variety. So you know that's just kind of the it's it's not just about pinching those pennies, although that is certainly certainly part of it.
0: Mm. Our question of the month for May 2024 is what rules have you created or adapted to improve your favourite gaming system? This might be a homebrew rule or something you've ported over from another game. The point is you tried it, it worked well and you kept on using it. Head on over to bedroombattlefields.com forward slash voicemail to submit your answer. That's bedroombattlefields.com forward slash voicemail. And now back to the show. What, uh, what are some other examples of terrain that you've built in recent years?
1: Um, so um, the big thing uh, that we do a lot of uh, for a lot of our convention games, I don't know if you remember the Dust Tactics game. That was a sci-fi, meets. it was a, a, uh, meets, it basically was a world war, weird World War II game from Paolo Parente <clears throat> at the time. It's gone through several iterations. Any fan of Dust will, will cry at the number of times the game has died and been reborn. But uh, just acquiring a, in, a, in a sale a massive number of their building kits, which are these they basically look identical walls, and then build seven or eight large buildings and then greeble the crap out of them. And you end up with this uh, enormous science fiction city. So, And then you take that city and you go to the convention, you get an eight-by-eight eight table, and we run uh, Mech Attack, which is, a again, an, an open-ended, simple, cheap uh, mech combat game. But we're running a mech combat game at 28 millimeter scale with large you know, mechs. So if, um, if you think about uh, our, our, our lineup of mechs in that game is going to have mechs from wherever we were able to find them. You know, old Macross toys, Robotech toys, actual gaming miniatures such as Robogear or uh, Cryomech. Um, things from the MechWarrior Dark Age universe. And then you have this so this this spectacle comes together and the, the the what I would joke with people is that you know I basically have these massive array of mechs for you to choose from and you know not one of them cost more than the tiny little battletech uh, metal figure. Um sorry I got off the Where Were we talking about terrain or yeah. are we talking about models? Terrain. Yeah. Let's return <laughs> returning to terrain. So um let's see what else we built recently. Um I would I would send the uh, The approaches to terrain differ quite a bit, and I would kind of send a spotlight to one of our members who just finished um, a bit of terrain that is a lot, the most artistic thing I've ever ever seen. He built a castle out of uh, just panels of thick chipboard, so it's basically squares of thick chipboard, and rather than attempting to greeble, took the exact opposite approach and hand-painted it. So um, in his very unique style, uh, again, there's more of, I think there's more of that. And it's what we use for the siege battle. But it's this beautiful setup that appears like you're gaming inside a comic book almost. So he's painted it with oil paints and it's uh, very impressionistic. But here is a, an approach to uh, terrain that is basically, it, it's still 3D, but it's relatively you know, uh, straight edged and but it's all gorgeously painted another way to kind of immerse yourself in here and uh, i don't think he was doing it for budget reasons but it does fit within the budget thing when you're simply dealing with chipboard and paint but um and then to top it all off uh this and this would be of use to those who maybe over on their side of the pond living in smaller spaces the entire castle nests within itself so uh, you've got it you start off with a cube that's about maybe a foot and a half about a foot and a half a foot and a half and out of that comes a castle that fills you know, the better part of maybe a two by two or a three by three footprint. Mm. And uh, so, and that that's just when you have a number of players in the club and you're each approaching things from your own direction, you end up with some really beautiful and unique work. So again, that's another um, terrain, but, and then, you know, it's just whatever, whatever is needed is what we come up with um, for, for terrain wise.
0: With the club, then are you are you guys like collectively saying we could do with this or we could do with that, and delegating what to do, or is it all just on everyone's back? You know, I'm just making this thing, and I'm going to use it at some point.
1: There have been a few times when you get together and you all work together for a project. Um The most, actually, the most common time we did that was actually for uh, there was a fundraiser for a, a friend's charity he was uh, kind of associated with. And so we just got together and built a whole bunch of small terrain pieces that he could raffle off at a, at a game event for that. But when it comes to our own terrain, um, generally, it's just whatever people are really passionate in, they dive down those rabbit holes, dive down those rabbit holes. And um, I'm not the president, but as the organizer, I kind of, part of what I see my job to be is just to look at those rabbit holes they're in and find a way to sweep that back into what we're doing. So the gentleman Matias who built this fantastic hand painted uh, terrain set, um, it, it gets some use in his little skirmish games. Bring that in, make that a focal part of our c- campaign. Uh, we had a let's see, there was you know find out where people's passions are and just kind of suck that into our into what we're doing. And it, it helps that being the organizer and being most passionate about terrain more so than most members that that falls to me in in other situations.
0: How often does the does the club meet then to play?
1: So we meet meet twice a month. Um, there was a time when we were meeting every other week all the time, um, up till COVID times. But now it's it's on the second and fourth Mondays of the month. If you are in the Chicagoland area, head to Chicago Skirmish War Games and dot com and check it out. But yeah, so it's they know that the first uh, that's who say the first meeting, which is the second Monday, uh, will usually be doing some kind of a campaign. That was the Kings of War campaign before. In a month, we're going to start the Conflict 47 campaign. And then the fourth Monday of the month, which is the second meeting, uh, it's whatever folks want to do. So um, if, if their passion isn't K47, they still know that once a month they can gather with their friends and throw on something else, usually a small skirmish game. Uh, we've, we've been dabbling in Space Weirdos, which is a phenomenal little rule set. Uh, really impressed by that. Uh, we have a couple of members who like outlier games, such as um, Gaslands. Uh, mech attack again although we play it in in 10 mil at the club um, and then one of our members also designs his own war games and so we'll get we'll kind of help him play test those as well and like i said also finding those passions people have and encouraging them in the club
0: talk to us about a uh, time because like it, from you know leaving the house to, or, or you're doing it at your house but other folks are going to have to travel to you so what time are you getting started? How much of that is in set up? How much it's in gaming? How much it's in tidying up? And then what time are you finishing?
1: Right. So you would think, right, that being the host, I have more time not having to travel, but it winds up being about the same because I want to have the tables arranged, have most of the, most of the terrain out for them. Uh, ideally, I will have asked ahead of time what kind of terrain they want. And I will have gone to the garage, brought that out, set it up for them. Um, so they can just show up and, You know, we're all gathered here by seven and we're going to play till 930 or so and be gone by 10 and then, you know, tear down falls to me. But it really is become quite convenient to just be able to come here. Um, It's I I know that some other folks manage to come. Do have to come a distance to arrive here? Uh, Some folks manage to come. My place is on their way to and from home from work. But, uh, you know, it's it's two Mondays a month. And I think most folks find that pretty manageable. And I, I enjoy the. Uh, hosting process so
0: what time are you getting well. started in the setup to to be started for them i think seven you said that they're coming for
1: yeah i'll they'll, i'll be ideally i'll do it the night before uh, i'll set every lay everything out so i can get home from working get going but uh yeah you know if i but even on a rush day if i'm getting stuff together around five they're showing up between six and seven we're gaming at seven done before ten it's a it's a nice uh, nice block of time that fits into everybody's life because you know we're all mostly men in our uh, most in our 40s and we got uh we got other things to do this is just something that we're all really want to do and really want to do together
0: so it's quite a well-oiled machine in terms of like when you get through the door you know there could be a bit of preamble and before you know it you've lost 45 minutes and you need to be kind of not hurrying people but you're conscious that that dice needs to start rolling aren't you
1: yeah, we are. There's, there's a bit of nudging that goes on. Um, usually someone has forgotten to do something that, uh, that delays things enough for the rest of us to chit chat a bit. And there is a deliberate kind of a hanging out afterwards for a little while. Um, and we just kind of fall into a habit that works well for us. And cause everyone really is there, I think to, uh, just to be with each other as well as, as well as to game. Some of these folks have been gaming together for, you know, well over, over a decade now. And, uh, coming out of COVID, I think we all uh, realized, uh, that some of that, that, uh, companionship and and time with our friends was missing in our lives. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a bit of a, you know, uh, being typical American man, we're not going to st- discuss it too deeply, but I think there's that thing that we're all very encouraged to be back, uh, in each other's company and and having this thing that we can do together yeah. uh, twice a month is, is good.
0: Aye, aye, definitely, definitely. And you, you're, obviously creating some great content on the website are you doing that presumably you're not doing that for every game that you play like there are a lot of games you're just playing and you're not bothered about documenting it and creating content around it
1: well i wish i was the kind of person to document uh, decisive enough to document everything ideally i would like to put a blog post up with a couple of pictures of nothing else for every game that we play mm-hmm. since so only twice a month but i've i've fallen largely that has fallen to me. And so I've not been doing as much as I can, but if something interesting happens, I think other people would see throw it on the blog. Um, just in conversing online with people, sometimes it's far easier to say, Oh, we've done that too. Here's an idea. And then send them a link to the blog rather than having to type out every single time what is done. Mm -hmm. But, uh, if there's any way we can encourage other people's gaming with what we do, that's very satisfying. And when someone references our, our website, which uh, happens a bit more than I thought it would, um, it's very, very affirming that hey, people are enjoying this content. Keep putting it out there, even if it's only a few people here and there.
0: What, uh, what tips and advice? Because you've been, you know, doing the club a long time. If someone else wanted to start their own club, you know, a similar type of club, what tips and advice would you give to them?
1: So I would say you've got to have a, a core group of at least three or four folks from the beginning who really want to make a club. If 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 you have four guys who want a to game together, that's cool. But um, and like I said, club may be overstating though it's on our <laughs> on our title the uh, the organizational aspect. We don't have membership roles, we don't have dues, we don't have any of that. But um, and then it takes a long time a long time to build a significant number. Uh, we made extensive use of the Meetup app, which was something I don't even know if it exists anymore. But a way of kind of meeting up in, in at events. Um, there was going on the major wargaming forums and putting in the in the find a game section hey chicago skirmish wargames is looking for players and you'll have visitors and you'll have folks who come who who you don't invite back because you know they just randomly walk into your kitchen your football and start eating your fruit and say strange things and they don't get an invite back (laughs) but uh, over over (laughs) over time you'll build up a, a group of people who are really interested and then i think you just have to have someone who really um wants to be an organizer um or at least other people look to to organize it. Um, That fell to me in our job, but at various times, other members of the club have kind of taken on that role and been the guy who posts for a while, who keeps pushing it together. Um, Helps to have somebody who's willing to kind of manage your web presence. Uh, We have a gentleman who's mostly stepped out of the active participation, but he's an amazing uh, stuff with computers. And so the blog and the forum that we have is actually, he manages that, he takes care of that. And that's something he enjoys doing. Even though we don't see them on the table very often, so making use of your of your group's abilities, I think having a regular scheduled night is extremely important. Um, the rent, let's randomly call and get together and maybe do something this month. If it's not on the calendar, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and like I said there's certain certain the finding that balance between someone having a vision and pushing a project and will also or a, con, a campaign. While also, like I said, finding what people are into and kind of drawing that into the club are two philosophical stages. But it it takes work. It takes time. And, you know, we're still there 12 or so years later. It's it's a group of about eight to 10 people at the most. And most weeks, it's, you know, four to six. Um, Also, I guess having a a defined location, whether that's a a game club you meet at weekly, we've done that before, or, you know, a, a, a home where everyone feels comfortable going helps a lot.
0: Did yeah. somebody really eat your fruit? Did that happen? Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. just uh walked into the house and uh as we were we were to be fair, we were gaming in the dining room at the time. We didn't have a basement in the old house. And we had to go through the kitchen to get there. But you just gradually grabbed food off and started eating it and what
0: did they have? Banana? Apple?
1: Uh I think it was an orange, which is also sloppy, sticky food yeah, for managers. Yeah, that's but, not
0: Ward I mean, gaming food, an orange. That's out order. I Mean it wasn't his orange I, be, either. <laughs> I
1: would happily give fruit to anyone who comes through and says, "Hey, could I have an orange? Mm. man, you can have the whole bowl, but it's just a very odd approach and um that wasn't the only thing that was the the most notable of the gentleman who did not get invited back but uh what
0: else did he but do? really it,
1: <laughs> it was just strange offhand comments and uh a general I, I don't I don't know if we were good enough for him, but uh it was years ago I don't hold it i'm sure I'm sure. <laughs> He was happy to eat the fruit, although I don't know if the gaming was up to his standards. So
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a story. We have,
1: yeah. And, and, you know, it actually brings me to the idea of emphasizing the quality of people you want to hang out with. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, we're different backgrounds, different jobs, different careers. But are really people that you actually want to see every week because they're people, not just because they war game. That's gold, man. That's that's what life's all about. You know, just being with people who you enjoy being around.
0: Is it one night, one game or are you doing a couple of different games at the same time?
1: I get, it depends. Um, so we, in the Kings of War uh, campaign, you're obviously, the number of people who have a large army might not be the entire uh, the entire club. And so sometimes that will draw some of those skir- more skirmish-oriented folks in with, hey, take half of my army and you're going to be the flank and I'll take the other flank and we'll make this a bigger game than usual. And oftentimes it looks like at the beginning, we had two tables set up for um, Kings of War, and then off in the corner we had a couple of guys uh, testing out a fellow's uh, skirmish uh, war set. So it's whatever it takes to get people in the room together. Same game, mixing games. Usually, there's only time time for one game, but there's nothing just because we're in the middle of a campaign doesn't mean someone can't be in the corner playing Song of Blades and Heroes, you know, or Space Weirdos or any any of that sort of thing.
0: Have you ever done like annual events, bigger stuff, or went to conventions or anything like that?
1: Yeah, so the, the, the annual the big event that I do every year is Adepticon where I put on the Mech Attack rule set. It's um, another rules light independent skirmish game. I just I describe it as Battletech, but with uh, one tenth of the rules and plays in a quarter of the time. And it's actually fun. So (laughs) that's, uh, and people tend to enjoy it. And so that's where I bring out the giant science fiction city. It's on an eight by eight table. It always looks fun. People kind of, people will sign up ahead of time. Usually we can fill all eight spots, but it's, again, it's aimed at providing not just a spectacle, but a fun experience. So someone shows up, they sit down, we can teach them the rules in about a half hour. And within a turn or two, they're playing themselves and only casting equations occasionally and they'll have finished the game within three hours and then they're gone so the the mech attack you know mechs are cool in small scales but they're even cooler when they're you know six inches tall or bigger on a table stomping around full-size buildings and so that's the big one um and if anybody's i mean i'm sure everybody knows about depticon it's started off this scrappy little war game convention almost 20 years ago now it's one of the largest in the country and they still make room thankfully for small indie games like mine. And so you'll obviously Warhammer and Legion and whatever Privateer Press is doing and something related to Marvel are all the big names, but they've still got, you know, they're willing to give a big old table to somebody to come and run their obscure mech set. So that's kind of a big exposure. There's also a lovely little convention called uh, TMX, uh, Tabletop Minions Expos. That's um, Adam Roper, I believe, is a gentleman who runs that um he's he has the tabletop minions podcast real nice guy um he's been a friend of the club for a while and uh he's that's a very that's, that's the polar opposite that's like 30 guys in a college basement um doing a mini campaign for a day and a half with just independent rule sets so we kind of do both of those other members have done other conventions the midwest is rich for that you could probably do a wargaming convention a month if you were willing to drive you know um a couple hours in any direction mm-hmm. so. It's a good environment for that. But only one a year, one or two a year for me. Um, again, a real joy of that has been now bringing my son along. Uh, he's now that he's twelve and introducing him to running of running of games, and he enjoys that also.
0: Mm-hmm. So he's right on board with. It then it's not like you're having to kind of <laughs> foursomes are all word, but come on, son, let's have he,
1: a. <laughs> you know I, they my kids. He may or may not wind up halfway through the game, sitting in the corner plugging away on his switch. But uh, for the beginning, for the setup, for the teardown, for teaching the rules, and even – um, it will often be right there. Uh, when you have these indie rule sets and you're running convention games, which are based around a scenario, it's not, it's not, a, um, it's not a tournament. You can add all kinds of fun little things. And so, you know, if – it, sometimes it just so happens that a uh, construction mech gets activated in the middle of the game and comes to fight on one of the sides, and that might very well be often piloted by my son or by some random person who steps up. So just finding a way, then it's, you know, his, his attention span not, might not last past that little uh, arming that, bringing that mech in for a while and playing until it blows up, but finding ways to <laughs> involve my son and much the way I find ways to involve my clubmates in different projects is just part of the experience.
0: Swinging back to, to Song of Blades and Heroes, have you played any of the sort of offshoot games like Death Death Guns and Mutants or Ray Guns and Mutants? Or, uh, Fur and Buttons was one that I've seen as well that's around.
1: So I've not played Song of Fur Buttons. I, I did think for a long time about making a, a teddy bear um, colonial forces. I like uh, anthropomorphic animal characters in Song of Blades and Heroes. Uh, what we have played a bit of is the Fear and Faith, which is his... Um, Uh, kind of horror movie variant a member of ours again who had kind of a passion for this had made uh, a series of scenarios um, tied to uh, the Lovecraftian universe and so it's a nice again very much like Song of Blades and Heroes a a fairly brief game defined ideally played with defined objectives even more so perhaps Song of Blades and Heroes if you're gonna do a horror game you gotta have you know here's what the characters are doing here's why they're there And that was something he'd been very passionate about. And one day we just went over to his house for Halloween and for Halloween had a couple of quick games of fear and faith. Um, That was a good one of gods and mortals is highly recommended. If you want to try some, a game that does a great job of bringing a, a deity mechanic in that is both not overpowering, but also pivotal to the game itself. And that's a roughly platoon sized rule set. You have a couple of groups of figures and then you have this God that can be, uh, that is there, and then can be if it's a street, it gets distributed can be brought back. Um, by it's been a minute since we played that. We we enjoyed that quite a bit, um, even just playing it as another way of getting a platoon sized skirmish on. Um, I think that's the only other ones we've played. We we went through all. Well, we actually that's not true. Uh, we did advanced Song of Blades and Heroes, which is fun. I'm not. Sh- I'm still not sure. I, I like it better than the original, but it does add a nice bit of granularity and a bit of reaction. Uh, which the original game does not have and then tale of blades and heroes uh, which is their role-playing game version and we did a, conven- a, a we did a, a um, campaign with tale of blades and heroes uh, luckily we had a, a gm who was willing to play very fast and loose with moving things along so you know we weren't consulting a lot of charts uh, not that you would anyway with the song of blades and heroes based game but we had a, he made a fantastic campaign for us where it felt like Song of Blades and Heroes, except for it had a bit of role play. And each person was controlling just a couple of figures instead of, you know, a usual squad. And again, that the ethos of the club, fast and loose, you know, make it a good story, pile on the great-looking terrain. And he, at the time, his passion was uh, Japanese terrain. So he was able to make the setting something that matched his terrain collection. Mm. So that's Song of Blades, Tale of Blades, Advanced Song of Blades... Uh, of Gods and Mortals and Fear and Faith. And that's only like half of the Song of Blades games. Yeah. Not to say nothing of the, of the rest of the games that Andrea has been writing. Um, I'm not super familiar with them, but his Four Against Darkness seems like it would appeal to folks who enjoy Rangers of Shadow Deep. It seems to be in that vein, but I don't have any particular experience with it.
0: Yeah. You uh, you done any of Joe McCulloch's games? You played any of them at the club?
1: So uh, we did a bit of um, Frostgrave, a number it was well received by a number of players. Uh personally I wasn't terribly interested in the um the mage centric uh, nature of the game, but the rules are very well written. They make a nice story. Um so for for the kind of a if if you enjoyed Mordheim and are willing to have kind of the magic user be the center of your of your game, I really think that this you know the, the logical step to go from there is to go to um to go to to go to Frostgrave. Or or if you want to go tropical, what is it? Uh there's a there's an island version of it as well. Oh yeah,
0: name ghost I, 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 I could never say that word. Archipelago Archipelago.
1: The ghost archipelago. Yeah. Uh, yes. Not the gulag archipelago, the ghost archipelago. Yeah. But, right, uh, try saying that
0: I- drunk. <laughs> <laughs>
1: try saying it all. Um but uh yeah, so it's uh, the Joe McCall stuff looks really good. I think we've just become kind of creatures of our own rut and haven't stepped out in some of these, you know, essentially have this guy, Joe, writing the kind of rule sets we'd always asked for.
0: And now we're not playing them. <laughs> so what's it? Are you meeting this Monday coming or is it the following Monday? What's what's next? What's what's going to be? Yeah. played? So
1: we have not yet decided uh, in about a month. We're starting a conflict 47 campaign which is the weird kind of the weird World War 2 version of bolt action. And so we're probably either going to try the rules out with that or more likely it'll be whatever random skirmish games guys want to get in before the campaign starts. So um again uh, are you familiar with Space Weirdos?
0: Yeah, I've um seen a lot about it and I've seen it on your website as well. So um it's- I would I would probably get it but I've got that many games that I'm not playing at the moment that I want to play so it's one of them one of them
1: exactly so we all have you know stacks of, of rule books but it's it's a very fun game that it seems to if you like that kind of rogue traitor-y a bit zany um uh rule set but it's actually but also quite fast moving with the he does a really excellent job of what the when when something gets shot or when something gets shot at having a a couple different things that can happen not just your hit Maybe you maybe you jump around a corner. Maybe you can uh, shoot back, and managing to do that, but also streamline it. In, in a, I've not seen a uh, a system that gives you so many interesting things that can happen. Obviously, so many sounds like six or eight. Think, in a very streamlined package that feels quite cinematic and just the tiniest bit of random, but you know, obviously, still recording. It's it's a, and the gentleman who wrote that uh, just released a fantasy version called Sword Weirdos. So at some point we'll probably give that a shot also, but uh, um, we've been playing. I think I think that we last time we got together we played the Space Station Zero game, which is by uh, Adam, the tabletop minions fellow. Um, definitely worth checking out if you're a solo, a solo player, or someone who wants to play two player cooperative. Um, we did not have a lot of experience with those kind of games, but there it's you know the twenty five scenarios in that book really let you sit down and just you know play with by yourself if that's what you want to do.
0: Hmm. That's something we do because we have each other, but a lot of folks don't have a, an active club. That's right, yeah. Aye. So no, I think that's that was that was one tiny positive out of the last couple of years is that a few more solo games and solo rule sets came to the fore. And I think that's that's a great option for people as well. Isn't
1: for sure. Solo games used to be this kind of little little nook. You'd find them at you know at the end of a historical rule set there might be a few uh, rules tacked on how to do it yourself or you had uh, two hour war games which operated kind of on the fringe um ed, i think it's ed tix i don't know if the his last name but he's kind of been carrying the flag for many genres of solo gaming with his reaction system for many years but uh mccullough and some of these recent guys really made it um really kind of brought it to a little bit more wider audience you know there's a lot to be said for a nicely produced book <laughs> as much as we are cheapskates you open up Ross grave and it, it inspires you. you've got miniatures and pretty pictures mm-hmm. and uh, seeing seeing joe doing that kind of stuff is pretty cool um the art i can speak the art in uh space station zero is this very cool uh, al- almost uh comic style um, that makes you want you want to know what happens in the next mission it makes you want to jump in and you know okay you're past your first mission where you're you're just getting in the door basically and killing some robots what happens next yeah and uh so there's, I don't have a whole. Lot, personally, I don't have a whole lot of appeal to solo playing, but that that heavy scenario focus is really is really appealing, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of cross between those two genres.
0: So as we uh, come around to the end of our chat, Carol, it's been a really enjoyable one. I appreciate your time and you coming on to to share your wisdom. Any last uh, any last words, or um, you know, point as to where uh, folks could check out your your website and that as well.
1: So yeah, our um, our uh, website is Chicago skirmishwargames.com. There's both a, uh, the regular blog where we just put some fun stuff to read, and there's a forum there. So if folks want to get together with us and game sometime, we are always looking for new players. And I just hope in some way we can uh, inspire folks to get out there and p- put in the work to create a club. It, it's If you find people you enjoy spending time with, it is worth it. Uh, you learn so much from other folks. You acquire new skills. Um, and it's just it's just enriching to your life to be able to spend time. Um, I used to describe the club as just good people with pretty miniatures on gorgeous terrain, having a lot of fun. And that's kind of what we're all shooting for. Takes a little more work to make it happen, but do it. Um, just do it. So yeah, it's not a whole lot of other wisdom to add. Bind. Um, Just have bring, fun bring, game with good people.
0: Bring your own oranges. To, in fact, make it an apple. An apple is a bit more yeah. acceptable. Well,
1: I tell you, the I I don't I, I don't not appreciate the the food tributes that the, that the members bring and the beer tributes they bring when they come to game. So if you go to someone's house to game, bring them a bit of food, bring them a couple of beers, and uh, yeah, no, they'll keep inviting you back.
0: So get I'm, out there and game. I'm going to start one now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you should. Uh, there's no if, if you have a space that is workable, get some people in it and play some games.